If you will take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 85. Psalm 85. We're in the middle of a series aiming at an awakening. You see the title today? I try to remind you this every time we gather so you don't miss anything on purpose. We're heading toward a weekend of spiritual awakening. We call it Saul Spiritual Awakening Weekend. Every message from January 2nd to January 30th, January 30th, those are two Wednesday nights, every message ties to this pointing toward this awakening, aiming toward an awakening. Already we have talked about the notion of awakening, the need for an awakening, the neglect of an awakening. Last Wednesday night, the nemesis, that which stands in the way of an awakening. This morning, the nature. Tonight, the never. When is it that God will never send an awakening? And it goes on. Thirteen times we come together. I really believe in my heart that God wants to awaken. And you're going to think I say America. I think God wants to awaken the hearts of his people. I think he wants to awaken the hearts of his people to his will, to his way, that we focus less on ourselves and and more on him. I began with two fables. You know these from literature and history, two fables. They are very similar, and you've probably heard the second one more than you've heard the first one, but the first one's like this. A farmer's walking along in the snow, and he sees a snake, a viper, a deadly snake, freezing to death. Now, I understand that in our humanistic mind, most of us say, freeze and don't bite. I forgot what you, you get what I'm telling you? This farmer showed compassion. Seeing the snake freezing, so goes the fable. He picked the snake up, and he put it in his coat pocket and headed home. Well, as you know what happened. The snake revived in the warmth, and he bit the farmer. And before the farmer died, he knew that this was his fault. Because here's what he knows. A snake is a snake is a snake, has the nature of a snake, and does what a snake does, bites. Second fable is about uh, it's the same premise, but it's about the scorpion and the frog. We've heard this many times. Scorpion comes to the frog and says, will you put me on your back and take me across the river? And the frog says, nope. He says, why not? And he goes, because you'll sting me and I'll die. And the scorpion says, you dummy, if I sting you, we both die. Frog thinks about it a little bit. Against his better judgment, he says, okay. So he puts the frog, he puts the scorpion on his back. And about halfway across, you guessed it, scorpion stings him. And just before he goes under, the frog looks around at the, the frog looks around at the scorpion. And he says, "Why?" And he said, "You knew what I was before you agreed to do this." I went to Wikipedia, and Wikipedia online makes this application. This is used to illustrate that the behavior of some creatures, as well as people, are irrepressible. It's their nature. When I think of the term nature, what is the nature of an awakening? I went and looked it up, and the dictionary said it's that inborn, innate quality, that unchangeable quality, that character 
of what he is. And so folks, we're aiming toward an awakening, so it deserves us well to say, okay, what is the nature of an awakening? What is it? What does it look like? How does it feel? And I want to just say this to you. No one in this room knows firsthand about an awakening. The only one who may come close would be Troy Watts because the last spiritual awakening was the early 1900s or the mid-1800s, okay? So Troy may be the only one that knows, okay? Seriously, we don't know because it's been so long since there's been a landscape-changing, mind-altering, culture-rearranging spiritual awakening that we don't have a clue what it's like. Now, there have been people who've been preaching for it, praying for it, hoping for it, In fact, two of the great names of the 20th century, Vance Havner and Leonard Ravenhill, were known to be revivalists. They prayed, they sought for revival and for an awakening all their life, and they died not ever having seen it. But this is what they said. Both of them lamented to the churches that they preached to. If the church really knew what revival was and were given an option, most of them would say, no, thanks. Because an awakening and a revival changes who you are, changes what you do, changes your priorities. So now we get to Psalm 85. We're going to read the entire Psalm. It's only 13 verses. And let's see if we can discover today the nature of an awakening. If you're able, would you stand to honor the reading of God's Word? If you've not found it, if you're in the Pew Bible, it's about page 499. Psalm 85, and the psalmist writes, Lord, you showed favor to your land. You restored Jacob's prosperity. You took away your people's guilt. You covered all of their sin. You withdrew your fury. You turned from your burning anger. Return to us, God of our salvation, and abandon your displeasure with us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger for all generations? Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your faithful love, Lord, and give us your salvation I will listen to what God will say. Surely the Lord will declare peace to his people, his godly ones, and not let them go back to foolish ways. His salvation is very near to those who fear him so that glory may dwell in our land. Faithful love and truth will join together. Righteousness and peace will embrace. Truth will spring up from the earth and righteousness will look down from heaven. Also, the Lord will provide what is good and our land will yield its crop. Righteousness will go before him to prepare the way for his steps. Let's pray. Heavenly Father... I pray that you will not allow us today to sidestep you. I ask that you not allow us to dismiss you and what you desire for each of us. I pray that you will reveal to us the wickedness that's in our hearts, that wickedness that comes up before you. And then I pray that you will call us to yourself. I pray that you will remove me from the equation and that you will take over 
and do that which only you can do. In your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When I read Psalms 85, I I am aware that it is very plain, very true, that the psalmist is very simply asking God for a revival. Will you not revive us again, it says in verse 6. And a revival is indeed a spiritual awakening. I've chosen spiritual awakening because the term revival is so abused and misused. People think of it wrong. People think of a revival as a service where you come together and people get saved. And what I want to say to you is, first of all, an awakening or a revival is not really about a meeting, although many times it happens in a meeting. And there is a world of difference between a spiritual awakening, a revival, and an evangelistic meeting. The evangelistic meeting is where God's people's hearts are so hot for him that they go passionately and vibrantly into the community and they share their faith with those folks who don't know Jesus. And because they share their faith with those folks who don't know Jesus, when you get together in that meeting, those folks attend and they come and you see God's final call on their life where they come to Christ for salvation. And it's a glorious time. But that's an evangelistic meeting. You see, the truth is you can never have an evangelistic meeting if God's if the hearts of God's people are not given to Him and the fact that the, that the community is lost apart from the saving knowledge of Christ, if God's people's heart are cold, then the evangelistic meeting will never happen. It is true in an awakening somebody might be saved because somebody's heart gets so hot they share their gospel with somebody who does not know Jesus. But the, the awakening, the, the revival, if you will, is... For those who have claimed to know Christ, they know Christ. They've walked with Him in faith. They have walked in His Spirit. Their hearts at one time were hot for Him, but here's the truth. Now their hearts have grown cold or lukewarm. Jesus speaks to the church at Laodicea about that lukewarm heart, and He says, it makes me sick. It is to those hearts that the Spirit of God comes to awaken. But here's what I want to tell you about a heart. If there is to be an awakening, God's people who used to walk, who used to do, who used to have a hot heart for Him, God's people must confess of what's going wrong. Now, there are a lot of things that can make a heart grow cold. And we'll not get into that list today, but here's the truth. Most of the time, what's caused your heart and my heart to grow cold is unrepented of and unconfessed sin in your and my life. You see, an awakening can be an event where the Holy Spirit of God wakes us up. Now watch this. The Holy Spirit of God wakes you and me up to our own personal Sin. We don't get broken over somebody else's sin. God's not going to come and deal with me about Teddy's sin. He's not going to come deal with me about Eddie's sin. He's going to come deal with me about my sin. And he's going to come deal with you about your sin. It's not about the chairman of the deacons or the preacher or the Sunday school teacher or those folks down the pew. It is about you. And it happens one heart at a time. And then the Spirit of God begins to permeate other hearts. And the church awakening happens when it happens to every heart. 
the psalmist, Psalm 85. This is an interesting psalm. It's a good psalm. It helps us to know a little bit about when it was written. Most of us know from our Sunday school lessons and preaching that the children of Israel were God's people. God chose them. They didn't particularly choose Him. You watch the history of you watch the history of the children of Israel. If you were to see it on the on the History Channel, you would probably come to the point you go. Why did God ever choose that hard-headed, stubborn, selfish bunch? Because every time God got ready to do something big with the children of Israel, it seems to this Baptist preacher that they either appointed a committee or had a business meeting and they voted and they went the wrong way. In fact, let me, let me, just, let me just be public about this. When I read this book... Anytime there was a business meeting, a vote, or a committee, nine times out of ten, it seems to me that the wrong decision was made. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? You may not like it, but go check it out. The children of Israel sinned against God. God warned them. And they didn't listen to God. So here's what happened. Children of Israel were defeated. 585, 590, the last time, by a wicked king named Nebuchadnezzar. Here's what he did. He came in. Here's what he did. He came in, and he defeated Jerusalem, and he destroyed Jerusalem. He then destroyed and desecrated the temple, and he took sacred items with him. Then he took God's people back to Babylon where they stayed for approximately 70 years, out of their country, foreign country. And now, as we get to Psalm 85, they have been allowed to return home. And back home, the psalmist writes, Lord, return to us and revive us. So what does that mean? What happens? What's the nature of this revival? What's this nature of an awakening? What's this nature of a, of a renewal? I want to do this today. If you're looking on the back of your bulletin, you can follow along. We're going to take it backwards instead of forwards. Because the thing I want you to carry out the door with you is how it starts. From this scripture, I'll suggest three things to you. An awakening, a revival, first of all, it results in God's glory. It results in... God's glory. And it's sad to say today that we don't think much about God's glory. We live our life, we go Monday to Friday, we don't think much about God's glory. And yet, as the Westminster Confession says, and I'm not a big historian, but he says the chief end of man is to bring glory to God. As a follower of Christ, our lives should reflect uh, Jesus And as we reflect Jesus to this world, we will bring glory to God because Jesus was all about bringing glory to the Father. You look at in the scripture, I'll just give you one, one for instance. We just came through, through Christmas and what did the angel sing to the shepherds? He sang, they sang glory to God in the highest because it's all about bringing glory to God. And as I look at this, I see that the, I see that our uh, our psalmist articulates the glory of God, and when the glory of God comes, how do we know it comes? What are some results? First of all, purity. 
is restored. Purity is reclaimed. If you look at verse 13, the last verse, it says, Righteousness will go up before Him. May I just say this to you? God is all about righteousness. He is all about holiness. He is all about purity. You know, the truth is, today, we've been fed a bunch of lies. Now, please listen. Teenagers, please listen. We're told, I am only human, so I can't be like God. Oh, really? Has anybody told God that? Because He says, you be holy like I'm holy. And I just want to say this to us. God has not lowered His standard. This culture today will tell us, well, God expects too much. No one can live up to that standard. But listen, folks, God doesn't tell us to do something and leave us. When God tells you and me to do something, He is here to lead us. You can look in Psalm 24. This always comes to my mind every time I'm thinking about the glory of God and what He expects of us. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? Now, you listen to this. Here's who will. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not set his mind on what is false, who has not sworn deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God. Now, did you get that? Purity is restored, part of God's glory, to those who are seeking Him. Let's just, let's just give you a takeaway right here. If you reside in sin, if you live in sin, you are far from the Lord. You cannot live in sin and say God is with you every day because He's not. The closer you are to God... The more pure you are, the more people can see God's glory. That's, the, that's one of the first results. Righteousness will go before Him. Righteousness will be restored. But it doesn't just stop there. Purity is reclaimed. But the second thing, provision. Provision is resumed. Here's the deal. If you put it in historical context, these folks have been out of the land. They've been out of the land for 70 years. For 70 years, the land had not borne any fruit. And now, all of a sudden, it says, verse 12, God, the Lord will provide what is good, and our, Lord, and our land will yield its crops. May I just say this to you? God will provide all you need when you come to Him. Are you listening? Heard this said many years ago. I will say it to you now. God will not be all you need. Until he's all you got. But when he's all you got, he'll be all you need. You see, the truth is, the nature of a spiritual awakening is that God gives you all you need because you are now so close to him. I got to thinking about that this week. Think about the story in Luke 15, the prodigal son. Now, I'm thinking about how God provides to us when we're close to Him. But not necessarily that He provides for us when we go the other way. Prodigal sons, class A. Just think about it. The son is in the far country. The son is in the pig pen. 
Now, how much provision was the father in that story able to give to that son while he was in the far country in the pig pen? None. Now, did he want to? Well, I think so. I read that because he was actually out looking. He was out looking for the son to come home. He was really wanting to help him. He was really wanting to meet his need. But that son was in the pig pen and in the far country, just like we go away from God and wonder why he can't provide for us. The interesting part of that whole story is this phrase, in the pig pen, in the far country, when he came to his senses. I wonder if God's people in America, in Hueytown, in the Hueytown Baptist Church building today, I wonder if there are some people here that need to come to our senses. I wonder if we have been in the far country and the pig pen so long, the Father's wanting to provide, but He can't because we're so far from Him. Now, in a spiritual sense, God does send His Holy Spirit to put that voice in our ear to call us home. If He doesn't do that, we're not going to come. But I just want to say this to you today. If He's already started dealing with you, if something's already started going on inside of you, it's not Brother Jerry. It's the Holy Spirit of God. Already beginning that work. And if you come home to Him as a part of, as a part of the results, the results of an awakening is you'll give God glory because all of a sudden, purity comes back to your life. Sin no longer has a place in your life. And all of a sudden, provision is reclaimed. And third thing that you see here is that power is restored. You know what? Believers today are living beneath their privilege, believing beneath their right. Because when we live in sin, power is gone away. When I look at verses 10 and 11, look at these things going together. Look at these things going together. It says, faithful love and truth will join together. Righteousness and peace will join together. And the truth will spring up from the earth. Righteousness will look down from heaven. So, so watch this. Watch how God's power comes together. He pulls, he pulls love and truth and he pulls righteousness, peace and righteousness and peace. That literally means they kiss. And the result is, is that truth coming up from the earth and righteousness coming down from heaven and the power of God is displayed like at Pentecost. And when the power comes, purity comes, provision comes because the power is witnessed and seen and lived by all. And the only one that can get the glory, are you listening, is God. You don't know about the power of God? The power of God always points people toward him. He doesn't point people toward me or you. Points people. He does only what he can do. But now watch this. In a spiritual awakening, all of a sudden, the abnormal becomes the normal. All of a sudden, the supernatural becomes the natural. All of a sudden, what you think is impossible is not only possible but happens. That's the power of God. That is, a, that is the nature of a spiritual awakening. It results in God's glory. But the second thing, it resounds in God's goodness. It resounds in God's goodness. Now, honestly, the goodness of God is not one point in a 35-minute message. The goodness of God can be better described in the volumes of messages and sermons. And it, it, could, just, it, it could just feel... It can feel days and weeks and months and years and we'll not get there. But in our affluence, I want to say this clearly, in our affluence, 
We forget the goodness of God because in our wealth, in our affluence, we think we own stuff. Hello? We think it's ours. We forget whose it is. Who you are and what you have is His. You are not an owner. I'm not an owner. We're just stewards and managers. I know I may not have time, but I'm going to make time. It is at this point we need a new lesson, even probably in this church. If we're just managing and being stewards of what he's given us, then we have to do what he says. There are some people in this room, you're stealing from God. You put his tithe right in your pocket, right in your bank, and it goes for your vacation, your boat, your house, or whatever else, and you're stealing from God. And you know what? You'll never find the blessing of God while you're stealing from God. We're a generous church. All we have to do is say we need something and people will give to it. I'm not talking about above your tithe. I'm talking about His money. I'm talking about His things. It's time for us to be called out because it's time for us to do what we've done for years and years and years. And you're going, Brother Jerry, we're going broke. Actually, no. Just saw the report from December to January. And we did really good. This is not about money. This is about God blessing you and God blessing me because we're faithful with His stuff. You don't like it, that's fine. If you understand what the Bible says, would you say amen? I didn't think it'd be very strong. There's some of us driving God's cars, living in God's houses, and we wonder why God's nowhere to be found. That wasn't in my notes. You got that for free. You see, when God awakens us, all of a sudden His stuff takes center stage. When He awakens us, it resounds in His goodness in three ways. It shows God's commitment. It shows God's commitment to us. God is committed to us. Go ahead, Matt. When you study the history of the Jewish nation, I've already said this, why did God... Why did God stick with such a hard-headed, stubborn, stiff-necked people? Might be a question to ask about the Baptist church today. Every time God wanted to do something big, they wanted to do something else. Yet because God chose them, He stayed the course with them. Now you need to make no mistake about something. It's real dangerous to get out of God's will if you're His person. Again, you track the history of the Jewish people. He said, y'all, come on. I'm going to take you over to this promised land. They got to the promised land. They said, have you seen how big those giants are? Moses said, you see how big God is? They said, we're not going. We took a vote. Had a business meeting. We're not going. And they murmured all night about to kill him. And so you know what wound up? 1.2 million of them wound up dying in the wilderness. By my calculations, 1.2 million over 40 years, it's between 85 and 90 Deaths a day, every day, seven days a week for 40 years, average. And we know it didn't happen quite like that because we know there were some times when some larger groups died in a day because they disobeyed God. When they finally got across the River Jordan, came to Jericho, 
One man, out of all those people, one man, Achan, sinned, decided he knew better than God, decided he could steal some of God's stuff. All the stuff had been uh, in Jericho, all the plunder had been given to God, and he decided he could take some of God's stuff and hide it in the back of his tent and nobody would be the wiser. He did. Thirty-five men died the next day. Do I need to go on? It's dangerous to fall into the hands of an angry God. But yet you want you'll see. You'll see God didn't abandon them. He didn't lead them. He is committed to his best and his will. He's not committed to your will. He is not committed to my will. He's not committed to a church will. He's committed to his will, his best, his glory. He's committed. He wants to bring us to himself pure and holy and unblemished. Shows his commitment. It says, verse 1, how do I know this? It says in verse 1, Lord, you showed your favor of this land. You restored Jacob's prosperity. You took away your people's guilt. You covered their sin. You withdrew your fury. You returned from your burning anger. He was so committed to them that he changed his mind. And we'll get to that in a second. It shows God's commitment when awakening comes. Second thing, it shows God's compassion when awakening comes. You look in verses 2 and 3, it says you took away your people's guilt. You covered their sin. You withdrew all your fury. You turned from your burning anger. You see, after 70 years in exile, the Jewish nation was allowed to come home. But watch this. King Cyrus of Persia. King Cyrus was a pagan king. And it says at the end of Second uh, Chronicles, it says that God put it in the heart of Cyrus to allow the people to come home from exile, to come home back to the promised land. Oh, King Cyrus signed the writ, but let me tell you, God's people knew who it was that released them. They knew who was in charge. They knew it was Jehovah God. They knew God had arranged it. They they knew God. And now in God's compassion, God had relented. Now, you read these verse 2 to you. Two and three that we read. Did you get all those words? It says God took away, he covered, he withdrew, and he turned from out of his compassion for his people. This is God's way. By the way, salvation, coming to Jesus to be saved, Romans tells us that it's out of the love of God, uh, i.e. the compassion of God that people come to Christ. One of the qualities of being awakened spiritually is seeing God's compassion. But not only does the awakening show God's commitment and show God's compassion, but as I said, we get back to it, it shows God's character. shows God's character. Now, make no mistake, young people, please listen. The character of God is unchangeable. You can't change the character of God. God is love. God is grace. God is mercy. You can't change the character of God. But here's what I'll tell you. God will change his mind. Scripture teaches that repeatedly, that God will change his mind. We read here, verse 4, return to us. I see it as a plead. Return to us, God. Return to us. And then he goes down, that your people may rejoice in you. So the whole thought is, Lord, return to us so that we may rejoice in you once again. Did you know that's the character of God when he comes into your life? He brings you joy. He brings you peace. In fact, Nehemiah wrote it this way. It's the joy of the Lord that's my strength. David, when he fell in sin and he repented of his sin, he said, Lord, restore to me the joy 
of my salvation. Go read the book of Philippians and joy is a repeated theme in that book. Because you see, knowing God is to be joy-filled. I like nothing more than to walk into a church where you can't shut them up from singing because they're so joyful about the Lord. Just rip up. Have you ever been in that? Have you ever been in that kind of service? No? Yeah? Yeah? Have you ever been in that kind of service? Wouldn't it? You know, when I think about, when I read about the worship in the Old Testament, they didn't have sound systems. They didn't have microphones that would go on and off their, uh, um, Randy, what's her name? Alicia. They didn't have microphones that go on and off, but you know what you could see? You know what you, you could hear them for miles around. You could hear the rejoicing going on because of the joy that was in their heart. Folks, that's what we're, that's what awakening will give us again. The joy of the Lord is our strength. When awakening comes, it results in God's glory because it resounds with God's goodness. But it is revealed. It reveals God's grace. Now here's what I want to say to you. If you haven't been listening, please let me have the next few minutes. For those who've been here a long time, you know that one of my goals as your pastor has been to teach us about mercy and grace. Mercy is us not getting what we deserve. Grace is us getting what we don't deserve. God has married his mercy and grace together so that we don't have to spend an eternity without him. In his mercy, he doesn't punish us for our sin if we come to Jesus. In his grace, he has given us Jesus. You see, the truth is, when you compare those two, that's, that's an incredible concept. Grace is all we need. God's grace is what we need. Whether you think so or not, you don't want justice from God. You want grace. You want mercy. When I read this, the mercy, the grace of God comes in three very specific ways that speak to us both. Watch this. If there's someone here who has never invited Christ in your life, it'll speak to you. If there's someone here who, yes, I, I invited Christ in my life and I know he's walking with me, but honestly, my heart has grown cold toward him. There have been other things that's been taking place and I know my heart's grown toward him. These, well, these are where the water meets the wheel. A spiritual awakening reveals God's grace and it is found in repentance. It is found in repentance. I read verse 8. You can read it another way. I will listen to what God will say. Surely the Lord will declare his peace to his people, his godly ones. Now here's how he declares peace. And not let them go back to their foolish ways. That paints a picture of repentance because repentance is repentance is turning from your old way and never going back to your foolish 
ways. Never going back to your sin. You have to, we have to repent of our sin if there's going to be an awakening. You know what that means? Let me just give you these illustrations. You can't turn to the north without turning your back on the south. You can't turn to the east without turning your back to the west. You can never turn to God without turning your back on your sin. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this way, My people call by my name. That will be those folks who know the Lord. Will humble themselves and pray. Watch this. And then seek my face. Turn toward God. And turn from their wicked ways. Turning their back on sin. There will not be a spiritual awakening in this building or in one heart until we turn our back on the sin that stands between us and God. You want to start naming some sin? You know, what is your sin? Lust? Right up there with lust is gossip. Adultery? Murmuring? Backbiting? Critical spirit. I mean, we can go and we can pull all kind of lists out of God's Word. What is it you're seeing? I guarantee you the Holy Spirit of God is telling you right now what it is. And we'll not ever find God's grace until we find repentance in our life. And not go back to your foolish ways. Teenager taught me years ago, 22 years ago. It was on a Wednesday night, Brother David. I was having the young people at the time. And Scott, we were asking him about repentance. And Scott said, you know, it's not repentance. It's not repentance if you're going to go do it again. Did I hear it? Did, you, did I get that? It's not repentance if I'm going to go do it again. He calls us to repent. First step found in awakening is Repentance. But not only is it found in repentance when we repent, number two, it is felt in forgiveness. Felt in forgiveness. Verse 4. The last part of the verse says, it says, Return to us, God of our salvation, and watch this. And abandon your displeasure, i.e., your anger, your wrath, your indignation with us. We see God's Forgiveness here. There's very little in the human experience that touches the human spirit like forgiveness. Have you ever have you ever asked someone for forgiveness and they refuse to forgive? It's like it stays like a burr under your saddle. It's like a sticker under your skin. It unsettles you. But how about that time that you ask for forgiveness and you are forgiven? You see, when it comes to God in authentic heart broken 
repentance. We come to Him in authentic, heartbroken repentance. And we sense that He has given us and granted us that forgiveness. How freeing. When you find yourself forgiven, you find yourself free. In fact, I read a report not long ago that if, if the psychiatrists and psychologists could get the people inside the uh, psych wards to forgive themselves, that they could release half of them next week. You see, when you get, when you get forgiven by God, all of a sudden, sadness is replaced by joy. Bitterness is replaced by happiness. And bondage is replaced by freedom. It's found in forgiveness. It's, it's found in repentance. It's felt in forgiveness. Now, here's the, here's the climax. And it's focused in salvation. Two times in this text, he talks about the God of our salvation. Verse 9, verse 4, he talks about the God of our salvation. Verse 9, he says, in his salvation, we need to remember that it's not our salvation. It's his salvation is very near. Salvation is literally bringing one from death to life. Now, did I lose everybody? Because I sure lost your eyes. Bringing someone from death to life. The Bible tells us that before we met Jesus, we were dead in our trespasses and in our sin. And one thing about a dead man, people always get grossed out when I say this. I worked in a funeral home for two years. Slept in the funeral home many times. I'm sleeping over here in the little apartment. There's an elevator, and right over here is what we call the prep room. Do I need to go any further? Do you understand what I'm telling you it is? So I would go out at night, pick up someone, put them in the prep room, go back in and go to bed. First time I went to sleep in the funeral home, Jonathan said, Daddy, you crazy. I said, why, son? They dead people at the funeral home. Let me tell you something. Dead person has never hurt me. Did you hear that? You know why? Because a dead person can't do anything. They don't feel anything. They, they don't feel pain. They don't feel joy. They don't feel happiness. They don't feel fear. They don't feel afraid. You see, the truth is, we're dead in our trespasses and sin, and the only way, the only way, the only way that we'll ever come to God is when He comes to us and He quickens our hearts, what the Bible says. And when He quickens our hearts, then we respond to Him. If He has, if He has spoken to your heart, if you're going, boy, some of those sins are mine, I know that He's speaking to me. Listen, it is not me. It is the Holy Spirit of God. Because listen, the wages of sin, the compensation for sin, the payment for sin is still death. If there's going to be an awakening, if there's going to be awakening, sinners have to come to repentance, have to find forgiveness. For some, it'll be a mean, it'll be a, a road to salvation. You've never invited Jesus into your life. And now you know that Jesus died for you. Jesus shed His blood for you. Jesus resurrected for you. Watch this. It's in power He died on the cross. In resurrection power He raised from the grave. In ascension power He ascended back to heaven and in, and in, Ultimate power, one day He will come again. But watch this, in transforming power, He'll come into your life and He'll change you from who you are to what He wants you to be. Jesus is the only answer. 
the nature of a spiritual awakening for this church, for this heart, for this heart, for this community, for this nation, is one person at a time, one heart at a time, one soul at a time, coming to repentance, finding forgiveness, and then finding salvation. Finding salvation. For the person that's never invited Christ in your life, let me tell you, Jesus died on that cross for you. He shed his blood for you. And no matter what anybody else in any other church or on TV tells you, positive thing is thinking it's not going to get you there. Only the blood of Jesus is going to cleanse you from your sin. And you come to him and he'll save you. But for those who have spiritually fallen asleep, please listen. It's time to come and be restored. It's time to come home from the far country. It's time to quit wallowing in the pig pen. You go, Brother Jerry, you know who I am. I got money in the bank. I got houses. You know what? (laughs) Big deal. Where are they going to be in 70 years? Where are you going to be in 70 years? Time to wake up. Started with two fables. Does the name Rip Van Winkle mean anything to anybody? Story goes like this. The legends far you know it far and wide goes like this. He went up into the mountains, and I read this this week, so don't charge the pulpit and tell me I'm adding to it. He went up into the mountains, so goes the legend in writing form, to get away from his griping, nagging wife. And when he got up there, he saw a man who was having trouble carrying a keg. Now, the implication is a keg of beer. And so when he carries that keg for the man, he then, they pop it open, he drinks a little bit of the contents, and he falls to sleep. When he awakens, he thinks he slept overnight, but there have been a lot of changes. The leader of the country is no longer a king named George. It's a president named George. And when he gets back down to the village, there's a guy running around town that's bearing his name, Rip Van Winkle. And it's his grown son. All of a sudden, he notices that he has a beard and white hair because he slept 20 years. As long as he was asleep, he didn't know what was going on. When he awakened, he discovered the changes that were taking place, that had taken place. Paul writes to us, So in the top right-hand corner, it say, he says, it's now time for you to awaken from your slumber. He goes on to say, it's time to discard the deeds of darkness. It's time to put on the armor of light. That is the nature of an awakening. We put on Jesus and we make no plans to satisfy the flesh. That is his call for you today. So I ask, what will you do? Let's pray.